0: Well, it's a privilege for me to be here with you this morning. Uh, Pastor Tim and his wife Jana are uh, headed to Taylor University to uh, take their youngest daughter Alyssa to school, and so uh, yeah, we want to be praying for them as they sort of work through this next transition of their life—empty nesters. And uh, for those of us who are empty nesters, it's a great thing. Transitions might be a challenge, but it is a great thing. And uh, so, get to be here with you this morning. Um, you know what? Happy New Year! 2017. Excited to be here with you and uh, to open God's Word. You know, when the New Testament talks about the Christian life, it uses a number of metaphors or it uses a number of images um, to describe the life of a Christ follower. Metaphors like a soldier that's in a war or as a branch that's connected to the vine, to to Christ. Um, Or we are to be salt and light, metaphors, images, or were described as a prisoner of of Christ, or as sheep who are following the shepherd, um, or to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves, or as living stones. All of these images, all of these metaphors are, are designed to describe for us what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to understand what it means to be his disciple. The metaphor, though, that was used in the New Testament, more than any other metaphor, um, was the image of an athlete, a contestant in a sporting event, and somebody who is actually in a race. And uh, becoming a Christian, confessing Jesus Christ as your Savior, means that we enter a new arena of life where we are running a race. And in this race, there will be moments, there will be seasons, that are filled with exhilaration and joy and challenge. It's a part of a race. But also, as a part of this race, a part of this journey we find ourselves in as a follower of Jesus Christ, there will be just the opposite. There will be pain, heartache, hardship, and sorrow. Now, if we're to be victorious in this arena of this life as a faithful, worshipful follower of Jesus Christ... And to be able to finish this race well that we are called to run, we need endurance. Endurance. And the reality is the Christian life is more of a marathon, not a sprint. A sprint, you exhaust energy and effort for just a short period of time, but a marathon, it's extended over a great length, a great period of time. And the Christian life is really more of a marathon than it is a sprint, And that's about being faithful over the long haul, as we talk about that this morning. A lifestyle of faithful obedience in the same direction. That's what we're talking about. Faithful obedience in the same direction involves the awareness of three very important truths. And the author of the book of Hebrews addresses these truths. And so, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12, as we consider the first 11 verses. As we look at what we should know about being a faithful follower over the long haul. That's what it's about, over the long haul. The first point, be ready to run with endurance, fixing our eyes on Jesus Christ, our Savior. Look at verses 1 and 2 of Hebrews chapter 12. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, he says, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder, perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's kind of unpack these uh, verses here as we walk through these first, uh, por- this first portion of Scripture. Verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Well, the therefore is a connecting word to what was just written, and we need to understand what the author was talking about. And so, who are these great cloud of witnesses that we should look to for our encouragement? Well, chapter 11 has a list of them. They are people like Abel and Enoch. Noah, and Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, David, and many others. Notice what's said about them in chapter 11, verse 13, where it says, "...these all died in faith." All of these saints that the author is referring to. "...all died in faith, not having received the things that were promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, from a distance." having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on this earth. These faithful Old Testament saints, they endured to the end, past the end, to the point where God called them home. And it was only at that point in time that they experienced and realized the gift, the promise that was to be given to them on the backside. They were people who followed their God passionately, These were people who were living by faith, always trusting, always believing, and not giving up. Their lives were characterized by incredible endurance, even during the periods of great hardship and difficulty. You know, quitters aren't much of an inspiration to anyone, except to whom? Quitters. Yeah. It's those who are faithful over the long haul that become an inspiration and encouragement to the rest of us. Those who give up soon. Really aren't much of an inspiration or an encouragement to any of us. But people who stay with a commitment, even though the going gets tough, are a source of great inspiration to us all. So, a faithful obedience in the same direction in this marathon of faith requires that we also, as the author says here, look at this, lay aside every weight. Every weight, not just some weights, but he says, every weight and the sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Well, the idea here is that in a race, you get rid of things. Every weight, he says. Not just some weights, but every weight that will slow you down or keep you from competing well. Never does an athlete wear their warm-up clothes in the race. They strip down to the bare essentials. And so you lay aside every weight. The author here is not referring to sinful things when he talks about these weights because he mentions sinful things next. But, but here he is saying there are some things that are not necessarily sinful or bad in themselves, but they can become a hindrance, a weight to your progress as a Christ follower. You see, if there's something out there that has captured your heart, that has captured your attention, that is keeping you from progressing well in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And it has become more of a focus for you than Christ and His priorities. And it steals your passionate worship of Him. It's become a weight that will slow you down and keep you from running well. What are those things? What are those weights that are keeping you from progressing in your, in your walk, in your relationship with Jesus Christ? Things that aren't sinful, but things that just may not be of great benefit to you. Could they be things like the television, the internet, shopping, Facebook, exercise, food, relationships, your kids? I mean, what is the weight in your life as you stop And to think about, as you sit here this morning, that it's just, it's not sinful in and of itself, but it's just not allowing you to progress well in your faith, in your relationship with Christ. What is that weight that is keeping you from becoming more patient, more loving, more compassionate, more giving, more faithful, more loving? What is it that's keeping you from that? And only you can answer that question. But the author here is saying, get rid of it, because it's going to slow you down. It's going to keep you from progressing well and enduring. And then we're told to lay aside, not every weight, but then he says, and the sin, which clings so closely, it's, it's kind of the image that, you know, it's a, it's a dog that's just kind of nipping at your heels. It just won't leave you alone. And that's what sin is like. It's just always going to be there, kind of like on our doorstep, ready to just pounce on us. And the author is saying, also get rid of that sin, that known sin that's keeping you from moving forward, that's, that's impeded your progress in, as you walk with Jesus Christ. Get rid of it. Confess it. Deal with it. The author doesn't identify any specific sin. Because all sin is a hindrance to our journey of faith. But these would be the obvious things that are contrary to the word and the will of God. And so what sin is it in your life this morning, this moment, that is keeping you from walking and running well with Jesus Christ? If you're not sure, a good prayer might be what the psalmist prayed in Psalm 139, where he said, Search me, O God. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me, he says. And see if there is any offensive way in me. And as you pray that prayer, as God brings to mind those things that are contrary to his word and his will, confess, forsake, and move forward. Well, once we've identified the weights that are keeping us from progressing well, and once we have identified and confessed and forsaken the sin which clings so closely, then we're told Once that has happened, run with endurance. Let us run with endurance, the author says. And this is the ability to keep on doing the things that you've committed yourself doing when you feel like it and when you don't feel like it. You see, nothing is more essential for our walk with Jesus Christ than endurance. Faith in Jesus Christ gets you started. Faithful perseverance keeps you going. You know, it's easy to to pray a prayer. It's easy to raise your hand. It's easy to walk an aisle. It's easy to confess faith in Jesus. But to keep following Christ when the pressure is on and the challenges come, that takes staying power. And that's why the author of Hebrews spent so much time looking back on the many faithful Old Testament saints, a whole chapter of, in chapter 11, of all of those saints who faithfully persevered in the midst of the heartache and the hurt and the struggles and the suffering and the difficulty. They're there for our example. They had the endurance. They had the perseverance to keep on keeping on. And then we're called to to run the race that is set before us. Not only should we run with endurance, but also now run the race that is set before us. And what I love so much about what the scripture has to say here is that, that each one of us has a unique course has a unique race that is set before us, that is marked out for us by our Heavenly Father. You see, I'm not supposed to run the race that you're supposed to run, nor are you supposed to run the race that God has set before me to run. We're not competing against each other here. God's got a unique race, a unique course that each one of us is supposed to run, which each one of us is supposed to follow. And in this race, each of us is going to have our own obstacles, We're going to have our own challenges. We're going to have our own capabilities. We're not competing against each other in this race. Let me say that again. We are not competing against each other in this race as we follow Jesus Christ. And it's amazing how so absurd it can sometimes become when we hear of somebody who has just read the Bible in a year or they have their devotions or their quiet time five times in a week. And we sort of hear that, and we see that, and then we all of a sudden think to ourselves, boy, you know what, I need to do what they have done. I need to do it in such a way that this will make me feel better because I've exceeded and I've surpassed what they have done themselves. That's not what we're called to do. Each one of us has a unique course that is marked out for us, that has its challenges, that has its opportunities. You see, we're not competing against each other, nor are we trying to be first in this race, but faithful. Not first, but faithful. That's what it's about. Not first, but faithful to the end. That's what we're called to. And in this race, it requires, notice verse 2, that we look to Jesus, or the NIV says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. This is how we can endure. This is how we can persevere and stay faithful over the long haul. This is what it's about. Jesus Christ is our focus. You see, when we have our eyes fixed on something, everything else should become secondary. In a race, the runner has their eye focused on the finish line. Not on the crowd, not on how well they may be dressed, not on the steps that they're taking, not on those who are competing against them, but they have their eyes focused on the finish line. That's what we're called to do. That's how we're called to live. And our focus needs to be on the person of Jesus Christ and nothing else. All too often, our eyes are focused only on the here and now. Not on the, and not on the future. Not on eternity. Not on Christ. I remember singing a hymn when I grew up in church. You may be familiar with it. It's, the words of that hymn are, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. Anybody familiar with that? A lot of hands and heads shaking. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You see, friends, faithful obedience over the long haul is what we're called to. It's what God wants for us. And the reason that we have our eyes focused on Jesus, and this is so important. The reason we have our eyes focused on Jesus Christ and we are looking to him is because he is both our example to follow, but he is also our enabler. Our example and our enabler. Jesus is the founder, the text says, or the author, the perfecter of our faith. This is a big deal trusting in Him as our Savior, releases His power through the Holy Spirit in our lives to live empowered by Him. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says, It is no longer I who live, but what? But Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. The life that I live is Christ in me, Christ in you, when our focus is upon Christ as our example and our enabler, we can be faithful over the long haul. Making sure that we're not distracted by the weight, by the sin that so easily entangles. That's going to trip us up and keep us from finishing the race that God's called each one of us to. Verse 2 continues to talk about this race. talks about Jesus. It says, Who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. As I was reading through this and studying this, I'm thinking to myself, Joy that was set before him? What's that about? Joy set before him as he knew what was to come. I believe Jesus. Was looking through the cross. He was looking past the cross to the coming joy that his faithful perseverance, his faithful commitment to persevere, to endure, and suffer would accomplish. And what was that? Death conquered, salvation obtained, redemption, sins forgiven the Holy Spirit sent, promises realized, Father's will completed, and now seated at the Father's right hand, his place of victory. For the joy that was set before him, he was looking through and past the cross to see everything that would be accomplished because of his faithful, unwavering endurance and perseverance. The joy that was set before him amazing. You see, being faithful over the long haul also means, number two, to be prepared for the struggles that your loving God allows. Be prepared for the struggles that your loving God allows. You see, Jesus experienced incredible struggles. The Jewish Christians to whom this letter was written were experiencing the struggles And so will we. So will you. So will I. And so we must be prepared for the struggles that are going to come. Look at verse 3. The author says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. That's Jesus. So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Jesus himself endured. He persevered against the opposition of sinful men. He experienced the most extreme of persecution that could be experienced. And he left us an example. Of how to suffer well. What did he suffer in his humanity? He was betrayed by those closest to him. He was wrongly accused. He was whipped. He was spit upon. He was humiliated. He was made fun of and ridiculed. He had a crown of thorns that was placed upon his, his head. He was nailed to a cross. A spear was thrust into his side. He was beaten, crucified, hanging on that cross in shame for hours. Can't imagine. But he was faithful. Gave us an example of how to suffer well. And then you have the Jewish Christians. In verse 4, look at what it says of them. That in your struggles against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. The struggle here doesn't refer to the personal struggles against temptation, to the shedding of blood, but rather to the struggle against the sinful people that were around them. Just as Christ struggled against the sinful people, so these Christians were struggling against the opposition from the hostile non-believers who were trying to take them out of the race who are trying to take them off course, who are trying to distract them from the course that God has set before them to run. You see, Jesus told his disciples, he says, remember the the word that I said to you, servants are not greater than their master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. As difficult as the times were for the Jewish Christians of this day, it did not compare with the difficulties and struggles that Jesus himself faced. These believers were urged to continue to run their race. Just as Christ didn't give up, neither should they give up or grow weary and lose heart. So, what more do we need to know about the struggles and how should we prepare for them? Look at verses 5 and 6. It says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens every son whom he receives. First, don't think lightly of any struggle or difficulty that comes into your life because God is doing something through them. No matter how small or how big the struggle might be, no matter how small or how big the difficulty is that you're facing, God is doing something through them. The author here quotes from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, and he's saying, Hey, don't forget what was written in God's Word. His discipline, the struggle that comes your way as a result of His discipline, is an evidence that you are a child of His. And most importantly, He loves you. Now, God's hand of discipline that comes into our lives, it, it can come in basically because of two reasons. One, because we have violated a standard of God's holiness that he has set for us. We have sinned against him and his hand of discipline then comes our way. Or simply because God sees an area of your life that needs some attention and improvement and so God then steps in. As any parent would typically do with with their kids, if, if they have violated some code of conduct in their home some rules to live by, whatever that is, those rules are violated, then the hand of discipline comes their way. Or it could be, as a parent, you see some character challenges in your son or daughter's life, and you need to sort of step in and and help them deal with some things that, that, that aren't necessarily sinful or wrong, but just you want to be able to improve and help them, encourage them along the way. And so God's hand of discipline can come in one of two ways, Typically. It's, it's, it's much like a coach of an athletic team that sees uh, that you have violated the athletic code of conduct that you agreed to when you joined the team. And so as a result of violating that code of conduct, that coach makes you run laps, run the bleachers, because you violated this code of conduct that you have agreed to. You're struggling, you're suffering as a result of your violation of what you agreed to. Very appropriate. Or that coach may seize an area in your life to improve your skill. And so that coach puts you into this heightened regiment of training. And this is God pressing in on us to shape and to transform us, to make us more like his son, Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.6 says that he who began a good work in you will bring that work to completion. God's working. So be prepared for the struggles. That your loving God allows. Well, what else should we know about the struggles that are gonna come our way as a result of either the sin in our lives or as a result of God wanting to improve some areas of our life that just need to be worked on? Well, God's discipline, God's chastening, it can come in a number of different ways. And please hear this God is never a passive observer in our lives. While sinners, while Satan, or the brokenness of the world beat us up, God is not a passive observer. Know this God rules over sinners, God rules over Satan, God rules over this world. Amen. God is not coming to us after the hurt has happened, after the struggle has become, after the sickness. After the tragedy, after the demonic attack, and saying, you know what? Oh, goodness sakes, I can now make this turn out for good. That's not discipline. That's not a sovereign God. That's what I would call repair. You see, God's not in the repair business, He's in the redemption business. It's the difference between the surgeon who plans the incision for your good. And the emergency room doctor who sews you up after some freak accident. The truth is, God is the doctor planning our surgery, planning our struggle, not the doctor repairing our lacerations. Do you get what I'm saying here? And I say that because of what the text has to say, that we have a sovereign God of the universe... God reigns sovereignly over the circumstances of our lives, over the circumstances of your life, over the circumstances of my life. He reigns sovereignly over that. He reigns sovereignly over the health of our bodies. He reigns sovereignly over the hostility that may come our way from our adversaries and over the calamities of the world. If God is not sovereign over all of this, then God is not sovereign at all. The book of Job is a perfect example of the sovereignty of God and the struggles that Job went through. We're given the opportunity, the privilege, to have the curtains of heaven drawn back just a little bit to see how God works. As, As God was watching over Job, as Satan and his demonic forces come to God and say, look at this servant of yours. The only reason he loves you is because you have blessed him. You've given him so much. And God says, fine, I will prove you wrong. And so he gives Satan the opportunity to take away much of his livelihood and his children. God says, you can do this, but you cannot move forward any further. That's it. The line is drawn. Well, Satan then comes back because Job stays faithful in the midst of this. He endures in the midst of the struggle. And so Satan goes, well, take his health and you'll see. And God goes, no, I know him better than you. So Satan is allowed to touch Job's body and to bring the boils that were suff- that, that that brought excruciating pain and heartache and hurt. God said, "Satan, this is the line. No further. God is sovereign over the circumstances of our lives in every way. He reigns supreme. He's there. He's God of the universe." What else should we know about the struggles that may come our way? Well, bottom line, God loves you. He loves you. And he will never give you more than what you are able to handle. He designs and directs all of life for us as a loving Father's discipline, for our good and for his glory. Don't give up. Don't grow weary. We have the God of the universe on our side. And he's watching over us, transforming us from one degree of glory to the next. You see, God's love for us is not a pampering love. As James McDonald says, it's a perfecting love. Not a pampering love, but a perfecting love. God's primary goal is not our comfort and our temporal happiness. His goal is our holiness. His goal is to transform us, make us more like Christ-like so that we can reflect His glory and worship Him more thoroughly. And to that end, as a loving Father, He's willing to discipline us in ways that to us may seem harsh, may at times seem unloving, may at times be confusing, but the truth is, all of His wrath, if we think it's wrath that's coming our way, all of His anger If we believe it's anger that's coming our way, it was completely exhausted on his son on the cross. So there's none left for me. You see, God is willing to allow or direct struggles and suffering into our lives in order to change us. You see, when God brings discipline our way, it's never retribution, it's loving transformation. Knowing this should help us to not grow weary. Don't lose heart. Your loving God is in the transformation business, not the retribution business. It seems as if pain and suffering are God's main tool, main tool for producing change. And you might say, why? Why is that? Well, I think it's this reason. Because in good times, when things are going well, when things are going according to our plan, we have a tendency to forget about God and drift away. I've been there. I'm sure you have too. Forgetting about where our eyes should be focused. Forgetting about where we stand. When things are good, we're feeling good about ourselves. It can sometimes lead to a great deal of pride and arrogance to think, man, look at what, has, what I have been able to accomplish and do. But when the struggles come, when the discipline comes our way, when God steps in and it either allows, disallows, or directs, we then get our eyes off of ourselves, off of our successes, off of all the things that we've accomplished, and we get our eyes focused back on Jesus. You see, when the struggles come, it helps us to refocus us on what is most important and trust in God in ways that we might not when things are good. C.S. Lewis wrote in one of his books, he said, God whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks in our conscience, but shouts... In our pain, he shouts in the midst of our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. That's what suffering, pain, heartache, hurt do to us. It gets our focus off of ourselves and gets it placed upon Jesus Christ, which allows God to continue to do his work in us and through us. Being faithful over the long haul, Be ready to run with endurance, fixing our eyes on Jesus Christ, our Savior. Be prepared for the struggles that your loving God allows. And third, be mindful. Be mindful of God's purpose in allowing the suffering. And what does that do? Well, first of all, it assures us of sonship that we are a child of His. Look at verses 7 and 8. It says there, It is for discipline... That you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. When God's hand of discipline comes our way into our lives, into your life, Know that you are not being treated as a slave or an enemy, but you're actually being treated as a child loved by your heavenly Father. If you were not a child of His, you might not be experiencing as much suffering or difficulty. That's what the Psalmist in Psalm 73 struggled with. Asaph was the man who wrote Psalm 73. He struggled with this reality that it seemed like those who were worshiping and serving God were going through much more difficult times than those who weren't worshiping God. As he looked at those who were not following God, he, he seemed to see that there was just this, this inconsistency that those who were not following after God seemed to be healthier and, and, and more well-off to do, but it was those who we're following after God, who are serving God, who are worshiping God, we're having more struggles. So don't be alarmed by what may be a, 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 a appear the inconsistency of, of those who don't know Jesus Christ and how their life may appear to be better than those who do know Jesus Christ because you know what? God's hand of discipline is there as a loving Father to transform and to change us and to make us more worshipful of Him. And so being mindful of God's purpose and allowing suffering... It assures us that we are his sons, his daughters, when discipline comes our way. So don't reject it. Don't see it as a description that you're an enemy of his. You're a child of his. The suffering also deepens and enhances life, and it continues for our benefit. Look at verses 9 and 10. We read there, besides this, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. You see, if we can accept our earthly father's discipline as an act of love, which at times, as kids growing up, we may not have been able to to comprehend or, or get our arms wrapped around that when mom or dad had to discipline us and we would think to ourselves... Is this love? Well, it is. It's a parent. It's got kids. I'm sure you understand that. And we respected them for caring enough to challenge us when we're wrong, when we're in need of correction. And how much more should we accept the Heavenly Father's discipline when it comes our way? In whatever form it comes, knowing that God says, here's the line, nothing more. That's it. You see, our earthly father's we were fallible. We are fallible. You know, when it came, come to, when it came to disciplining our kids, um, sometimes inconsistent, sometimes unfair, sometimes even extreme. Been there? Yeah. But the text says they disciplined us as it seemed best to them. And that discipline ended when we reached a certain age or learned a certain lesson. But God's discipline, God's training, continues all of our life. It is always perfect, always appropriate, always timely, always, always, always done in love. And it's for our benefit and our transformation. You might want to write this verse down, Romans 5 verses 3 to 5, it says, we rejoice in our sufferings because they're God-directed, they're God-sovereignly ordained, they're also God-protected, knowing that suffering, he says here, produces endurance, and endurance produces character, staying power, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, everyone suffers in this broken, sin cursed world. We all do. The reality is that our lives are more powerfully shaped by how we choose to suffer than they are by the fact that we suffer. How are you suffering? Are you suffering well? Are you resisting? Are you complaining? Are you mad at God? There are going to be those moments. Been there. Experience that. But Romans 5 gives us this incredible hope that God's love has been poured into our hearts as we suffer. The suffering also, it's initially painful, but ultimately productive. Look at verse 11. For the moment, it's just a moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Wow. <clears throat> Some of you may be aware of my uh, challenges of cancer over the past number of years. I was first diagnosed with leukemia back in March of 2011. Went through a week of chemo treatments. Didn't lose my hair. That was one benefit of the chemo. But I was then declared in complete remission eight months later. Thrilled. Excited. But then I was diagnosed with stage three non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in December of 2012. Went through treatments and declared in remission four months later. Thrilled again. But then the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma returned this last May of 2016. Not as thrilled. My doc said with the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, it's not a question of if it would return but when it would return. And so with that, there were 12 chemo treatments that were then finished up just this last December 2nd. Had a PET scan two weeks ago, and I'll be meeting with my oncologist next Wednesday for the results. God's got it. He's in control. As I look out over the crowd here this morning, I know a number of you are walking through some very tough, difficult situations. And my heart aches. But I know how well you've been walking through this time and season of suffering. So for me, for you, painful, unpleasant, inconvenient, Expensive, incredibly difficult at times, you bet it has. But you know what? It's also continued to yield incredible spiritual benefits and blessings, producing, as the author here says, peaceful fruit of righteousness. Things I would have never learned if it weren't for all of the cancer, if it weren't for the struggles that God had allowed to come into my life. What this has been teaching me is that God has a plan. Have you heard that phrase before? God has a plan. God's got it. I don't need to fear. I can rest in him and his peace has been my companion, been my companion, been Becky's companion through all of this. As I trust in him. Isaiah chapter 26 Verses 3 and 4 says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you, whose eyes are focused on Jesus Christ because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is our everlasting rock. As we've had to walk through this long season, our prayer has been, Lord, heal me. And I know he can. My God can. My God will. My God will. But even if my God doesn't, I will still continue to worship him. The prayer has been, Lord, heal me. But the prayer has been more than that. The prayer has been, Lord, your will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. That I might become a better worshiper of you. That I might be able to reflect your glory more and more each and every day. And as a sovereign God of the universe, I have learned He either allows, disallows, or directs according to His loving, grace-filled plan for my life and for His glory. And I can rest in that, no matter what the outcome might be. And when you have the sovereign God of the universe by your side, His companionship and grace is more than sufficient. More than sufficient. The 1992 Summer Olympics featured two tremendously heart-wrenching moments. American sprinter Gail Devers, the clear leader in the 100 hurdles, tripped over the last hurdle and went down hard on the track. While she agonizingly pulled herself to her knees, crawled the last five meters, Finishing fifth, but finishing. An even more emotional event was the 400-meter semifinal race in which British runner Derek Redmond tore a hamstring and went down on the track hard. And even though he knew he wouldn't qualify for the next race and that gold was out of the picture for him, Derek Redmond struggled to his feet, began to hobble, and then to hop to the finish line, determined to complete the race. His father, who was in the stands when he saw what happened, rushed down from the stands to come alongside to help his son. Derek refused to quit. And so with his father, he leaned on his father's shoulder, and the two of them limped to the finish line together. They finished. Let's take a look at the video. see, as we go through life, there will be struggles, there will be pain, there will be brokenness, disappointments, tears, where we may want to stop and give up and not finish the race that's been marked out for us. But know this. We have a heavenly father that loves us so much that he stepped out of the realm of heaven to rush to our side in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our hurt, in the midst of our brokenness. And is there to allow us to lean on him and finish the race together. That's our God. He loves you more than we could ever begin to imagine or think. And in the midst of the brokenness that we experience in this life, he's there for us to lean on him and to finish well. The Apostle Paul, in his last letter written to the young pastor Timothy, wrote these words. In 2 Timothy 4, he says, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing and have finished the race. You see, friends, here we stand on the beginning of 2017. None of us knows what this next year is gonna have for us. But what we do know, is that we have a sovereign God of the universe, who's watching over, who's directing, and who is leading. And there's a a race that's marked out for us. And we can finish this race, not because of our own strength, not because we just wanna muscle it, because we can never accomplish it. But because of the strength, the power, Faithfulness of our amazing God as He works in and through our lives for His glory. Let's pray.